Have you ever been out on the trail deep in a forest and come across what you thought were elk antlers? Or maybe they were deer antlers? Or maybe from a moose? To think these animals majestically wear a crown of bones that may weigh up to 40 pounds is impressive. It's no wonder elk have been a symbol of strength, endurance, and courage. The sight of an elk herd is said to be a sign of community and a message of plenty to come. In this episode, I talk with Eric Riemann about Elk in the Wild, and Sandy Compton reads his essay, Antlers, Love, and Wilderness. I'm Autumn Lear, and this is your wild place. how old an elk is. Right. It's, it is hard to tell how old an elk is. Um, you can tell by the size somewhat, but you can also tell uh, by the demeanor mm. uh, because younger younger elk will not be as uh, easily spooked. Older elk will have a more distinguished look and they'll have a little bit more definition to their muscles. They'll have they'll have the age in the face. I mean, it's just like any other animal. Do you know, even humans grow another prong on their antlers every year. That's what I thought. They can uh, usually the first the first year is called a spike yeah. for a bull, and that's usually just one point coming out. Uh, then they will go into uh, what's called a raghorn. Uh, for the next three or four years, that will be anywhere from, you know, three points to four points. Um, they often hear people counting. Those yeah, points. yeah, and uh, and then and then they'll stay a five point for a good two two years at least. Mm-hmm. Usually, that's not the case for every elk. I mean, I, I a lot of spikes are, um, you know, they're two points. They're called fork and horns. And they have, they don't just have one spike going up. They have a one branch and then two forks that come up. And so that, but that's usually just a, uh, a year and a half year old. You know, when we talk about how old an elk is, it, you, we, we usually talk about how old they are during, uh, you know, during the fall. And so during the fall, a, you know, that calf is only six months old. So, and it doesn't, a bull won't have any antlers the first year, the first six months. So at a year and a half, it will be a spike. Yeah. And then it will start, uh, it'll become a raghorn and be anywhere from three to four points for, you know, two or three years. Uh, and then when it's about three and a half, it'll start to be a five point. How, do you know how old elk live to for their lifespan? It's, uh, you know, it's somewhere around, they can live up to 20 years. Um, there's a, I read a story one time about a, a, an elk that the fishing game had aged to be 19 years old. And that elk, that was a big bull. It had four foot long spikes that were four inches thick in diameter and they were like clubs and they, they, they didn't have any other points coming off of them. They were just big branches coming up. And usually what happens is right when, when an elk gets to be about eight, eight and a half, nine, uh, they'll start to digress. So every year they got, they got bigger and bigger. Their antlers got bigger. Their body got bigger all the way up to eight, nine, 10 years old. And then they will start to deteriorate each year. They'll start to get a little smaller and the antlers will get a little bit smaller and they'll have 
a little less uniformity to them, you know, not as symmetrical. Um, but, and then at that time, you know, that elk just is normally doesn't have half of its teeth and is having a hard time making it through a winter, getting enough food. And so, um, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, it's actually very, not very common that they make it that old. Okay. So what happens to the antlers when they fall off? Uh, so there's a lot of things that actually, that will happen to antlers. I think predominantly they do get chewed up by, by the little animals running around the woods and mostly squirrels. Um, it's, you know, when, when we find those antlers and they've been chewed on, you can kind of, you can see the two teeth mark from teeth marks from the squirrel. And so it used to be that the porcupine was the, was the main eater of, yeah. And the porcupine, uh, you know, the loggers in the area in the Pacific Northwest had, uh, had a policy that they would shoot and kill every porcupine because porcupines ring trees. Mm-hmm. They take the bark off. Yeah. They take the bark off around the base so that it will die. I didn't know that. Yep. And it will fall over and then they'll be able to eat the rest of it as it decays. And so the loggers couldn't stand them. So porcupines eat what? bark. Wow. Well, so do elk. I didn't know. You know, in the middle of winter, you'll see elk actually um, stand up on their back legs and scratch at trees. So they get down past the bark layer to the cambium. to the cambium layer, and they'll they'll eat that. They'll spend hours. I've I've watched elk just eating the bark off the cambium layer of a tree, and uh, but it, but it's you know that that's one thing that happens to them. They also uh, you know it can take up to fifteen years for that shed antler to uh, decompose into the into the woods. And that's just recycling those minerals back into those, into the soil, which is a great thing. Um, we'll break down and they'll leach in and it'll be food for the food for the fruit trees. Have you ever heard an elk bugle? I have heard an elk bugle. Um, many times. What does that bugle mean? So the, the bugle can mean a lot of different things. It can mean it can mean just to locate other elk. It can mean to challenge other elk. It can mean to um, try to find a mate. And you know, it's it's interesting because I've had elk bugle right at me within twelve feet. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that that sends a uh, like a reverberation of their of their sound like through your whole body, and it's something you'll never you'll never forget. The UPS man. <laughs> never forget the UPS man. Blue Creek Press is happy to support your wild place. We offer books from the Wild West, publishing services, and fine writing. Go to bluecreekpress.com for short stories to browse the bookshelf, or follow us on Facebook. Blue Creek Press is expert at on-demand book publishing with more than 20 years of experience. Learn more at bluecreekpress.com. Antlers, love, and wilderness.
My friend Bonnie and I are in the basin that gathers the west branch of the East Fork of Blue Creek. It is August 23rd, and tomorrow, as we begin the hike out of this wild place for home, it will begin raining like there is no tomorrow, and not quit until late September. We don't know that yet, thankfully. We've been to the top of Mike's Peak today, via a circuitous route from camp in what I call the East Fork Meadow. First, we climbed up this cliff across the creek from camp. Bonnie will assure you that cliff is not an exaggeration. The same one that the bear climbed after starting to join us for breakfast and then thinking better of it. Thank goodness, Bonnie says. He'll be back this evening, but we don't know that yet either. From the top of the cliff, we clambered up a stone ramp to the Blue Creek-Ross Creek Divide and turned left into the basin under Sawtooth Mountain. Thinking like elk, we found a scramble to the top of the ridge that brings elk thinkers into an open, steep-ass, bare grass meadow on the south face of Middle Mountain. It's easy to think, treading the elk trail across the meadow, that before we were born, before our fathers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, or great to the umpteenth power grandparents were born, this meadow was here. These rocks were here. The bear was here. The coyotes we saw on the ramp were here. The goats we won't see today were here. The whitetails and the mule deer were here. The West Slope cutthroats were here. The huckleberries we were feasting on were here. Before people crossed the land bridge, before God created Adam, before Coyote created the people, depending on what you believe, these things were here. A funny thing, the elk were not here. The elk were moved into this place by humans, purposefully, and by population pressure. But they have adapted marvelously. They make my life easier when I come out here, for I know that where an elk can go, so can a human. Not as fast, or as gracefully, or as often, damn it. But the elk show me the way when I want to go someplace in this wilderness. It is their trail that I follow across the meadow at the 24-hour pass, and past the fantastic rocks, and up the ridge to Mike's Peak. I have names for features of this place which may not be common knowledge, but I am a namer of things for better or worse. Perhaps I should leave well enough alone, so places like this remain nameless, and thus unknowable. But I know that they will not forever go unnamed, and better that they are named by someone who loves the place for what it is, and wishes it to remain so, than by someone who sees only what they can take from it. Why elk climb to the top of Mike's Peak, I don't know, but they do. The trail is distinct and marked by tracks and scat. Threading along the brink of the call, it defines the north edge of the mountains. Edge is the correct word, by the way. It is one a guy or a gal could fall off of, given the wrong step. Down is right there, and a lot of it. Maybe the elk, coyotes, deer, and bears climb to the top of Mike's for the same reason humans do, to know that we have been there, to look out on the untamed center of this place and know there is a wild place left in the world for us to be in. We humans are tamers of wild things. Our tendency is to make things ours, to make them tractable, safe, predictable, secure. But if there was no wild place left in the world, where will we go to find the peace of silence? Where will we go to seek out ourselves? 
Where will we go to meet with God? Where will we go to hear our own hearts quicken and our own labored breath as we strain up some uncivilized ramp of rock that couldn't care less if we were there or not? Where will we go to hear ourselves think? That's what I think, and that's why I come here. Now, Bonnie and I have dropped off the top of Mike's into the basin between its sedimentary bulk and that of Clayton Peak. We've traveled down through meadows of bear grass, Indian paintbrush, daisies, club moss, columbine, and a thousand species I can't name, down across slabs of rock as big as truth and just as beautiful, down past the spring where we slaked our thirst without a thought of chlorine or bromine or any ene, because the water is fresh squeezed out of the stone. We have meandered through a fringe of tag alder into a hemlock and subalpine forest where the overstory is 75 feet above our head and the understory is knee-high, berry-laden huckleberry. An elk trail leads us on, headed back to the beginning terminus of our day's jaunt. Ahead of me, 50 yards, I see a thing that gives me a jolt of adrenaline, a white thing on the forest floor that I know by its color must be bone. At 25 yards, I know it's a skull, but it isn't until I am 10 yards away that the dappled light of the forest floor gives up its secret and I see the antlers, big antlers, elk antlers, two antlers attached to each other by the thing that once held the mind and senses of what I have spent much of my day trying to think like. I reach down into the brush, grab a stock in each hand, pick it up, and turn to Bonnie. The right antler has a lateral crack in the main stem, as if it was twisted violently. The skull looks as if it was sheared off along a line beginning at the right eye and continuing diagonally down through the bottom center. This critter died hard, I'm thinking, in a fight or a fall. And by the nature of bull elk and the crack in the antler, I'm guessing it was a fight. Bonnie is as stunned as I am, but she recovers and takes my picture, one in which I don't look too happy. I knew already where those antlers were going to end up. I knew the second I picked them up that they would never reside above the door of my cabin, never hang above a fireplace, and that nobody would ever look at them and wonder and say, where did you get those? Bonnie snaps the picture, and I lay them back in the brush where I found them. Why, she asked. You'll understand, I say. You see, I've been to this spot before. An hour and a half later, Bonnie understood. That's how long it took us to traverse three quarters of a mile of tag alder, vine maple, and mountain ash crawl across a flip cliff face and up another cliff to get back to camp. The antlers were too big. There was no way to haul them without catching on any and every bit of brush and rock. They were too big, just like this country I found them in. Too big to hurry through, too big to build a road into, too big to log, too big to mine, too big to change for our own selfish reasons, too big to keep for myself. It's too big to do anything with except love it for what it is and let it change us as it will as we fight our way into it and out of it. The antlers 
beautiful as they were last August, are probably now chewed and ruined by rodents in search of calcium and protein. The skull has broken down and possibly disintegrated. What's left will work its way into the soil as time goes on, and those mighty weapons of genetic selection will live on only in memories and the picture Bonnie took that day. I think about that elk, that transplant critter whose species has adapted from the plains to the rugged rocky hillsides and gorges of the cabinets. I wonder if someday I will fall as he did, mortally wounded by this fight we call life, in some grove far removed from where I began, but one I've traversed many times. And I wonder if the person who finds me will know what I knew about that set of antlers, that we'll all be better off if they leave me where I fall, and let the earth take care of me, as I have tried to care for it by letting it be. listening your wild place is a production of friends of scotchman peaks wilderness for more information visit our website scotchmanpeaks.org this episode has been sponsored by blue creek press edited by ray brown and music by ben olson and katie archer tune in to our next episode and subscribe to your wild place wherever you listen to podcasts